You're now listening to Inside the 18, presented by Aviata Sports and the LA Goalkeeping Academy with Michael Madgett and Trevor Stiles. Welcome to Inside the 18, presented by Aviata Sports and the LA Goalkeeping Academy. I'm Michael Madgett, and with me is the one and only Trevor Stiles. Good afternoon, Michael Madgett. How are you, my brother? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, in a different spot than you, uh, because right now I have no idea what's going on in the Champions League game and you're fixated on the game right now as we're talking. I am. I am. I'm, I'm deeply focused on our podcast today, but I'm deeply focused on what's happening in the Juve Real Madrid game, which, uh, people will hear this way later. So it doesn't matter. It just went three, three. So this is incredible. So if, uh, if you did not want to know the result of the game a week from now, uh, just uh, turn it that's, off right that, now. That's your own fault. If you're looking for the result a week later, you have bigger issues to deal with. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, uh, Travis, it's going to be good, man. It's just going to be you and I today. This is uh, this is a new thing for us. This is going to be. Uh, I'm, pretty I'm cool. excited. We discussed this last week. You said, "Who do you want to have on?" And I said, "Us." And you were kind of like, "Well, that's nice." And I, but who do you want to have on? And I said, "Us." We we haven't done a one on one. We haven't done a solo. You know, this is exciting. No, no, and, and you know, we talked a lot about this this uh, this past weekend. So I figured it would be cool for us to just uh, just do it. Uh, ourselves uh this week and that's uh our topic this week is going to be uh holding the line or dropping uh to the line uh versus coming out and uh trev for those of you who are listening out there who might not be you know experienced goalkeepers maybe a youth goalkeeper or a parent who's just kind of learning the game right now can you explain what dropping to the line means well, I mean, there's there's different ways what dropping to the line means. I mean, the first one for me that comes to mind is a, a cross or a corner kick where it's the ball's been spun in and you have a quick decision of, am I coming for it? Am I calling keeper? Am I coming to claim? Am I letting my defenders know that I'm coming for this ball? Or am I calling away and am I dropping to my line? Am I dropping to make the shot stop? Am I dropping to make whatever reaction comes to me? Am I dropping to find the best position? Uh, no different than on a through ball. On a through ball, as it's put through, it's the, am I coming big to smother or spread, or am I dropping back to hold position, hoping my defender comes out, right? Great examples, two cutback balls. Am I coming to change the angle, or am I dropping back to react in the line? But the biggest one for me really is a, where I see it most, and I think some might, you know, might see it differently, but that cross ball, that swung in ball, that kind of cut ball back in, is if, am I coming to claim, or am I going to say away, drop back to shot stop, and hope my defenders can, can actually deal with it in front of me? Yeah, you know, and I think one of the issues that we have uh, when it comes to this is that uh, a lot of a lot of keepers, a lot of youth keepers, are afraid to hold the line because you know they're afraid of of, of not coming out for every ball because they're they're worried about what their coach is going to think or what their teammates are going to think because they said ah you should have gone for that ball and if it goes in then it's their fault that type of thing and there's a lot of a, a fear of there and a lot of times they don't understand that that it's not actually a just standing there and not doing anything it's actually a preparation for a reaction save based on the ball that's being played in whether it's a driven ball low on the ground or whether it's a flighted ball coming in and and how it's coming in whether it's an inswing or an outswing or all of that stuff is going to determine whether you decide to come out or or hold back Um, and that's for me to cut you off real quick yeah uh, as i always like to do it's a positioning thing, and you're right. There's so many youth amateur players or people who haven't been trained, or to be honest, people who haven't done a ton of classroom sessions or video sessions and, and haven't been able to see it over and over again of, in their mentality, i got to come claim everything. My team expects me to come for this. Or they go, well, why didn't you come for it? And the ball is 15 yards out, and it wasn't your ball to come to. But so many expectations are put on the keeper these days. And as you had that great podcast that I missed, unfortunately, with Alex from the Cooligans, a great discussion of what gets put on a keeper, what really is fair to a keeper. And I think one of those issues is dropping to your line 
people say, no, you have to come, you have to get this. And what you're actually doing is you're making the right decision at times when it is the right decision. And as discussed before, Keeper is about getting in position, getting in position early, allowing yourself to make the stop. One of the best examples is Nick Raimondo on corners and crosses. He isn't the biggest man. He comes up big for his size. But I've never seen a guy, at least the MLS level, drop back to his line, kick his feet back, have his body wedge forward to make reaction saves off headers, off volleys, off shots. And when you watch him go and hold his line and drop back to his line, it's brilliant. And he makes a quick decision. He makes it sharp. And he does very well for it. So Bushy you know, used to do Bushy used to do the exact same thing when he was believe, and when it was really in form at Chicago Fire. Very same height. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, and I I've kind of you know kind of tried to model my game you know after them too, and and I I very much a lot of times have done the exact same thing. I've come up big actually on heading saves that way. When if I'd come how, out, I would have been just yeah, because I would have been smashed if I'd come out for that ball. There's no way I would have won it. You're not you're not me in my playing days. You're not six two two oh five coming through someone maybe six three if I was you know wearing heels. Yeah. But you have to play to your best advantages. And as we discussed before, not every keeper is going to be the same keeper. Not every keeper you train can be the same keeper. Everyone's going to be different. So it's really important to understand your game, know your game. And one of the things, and we're slightly going off topic as we tend to do always, yeah. is I'll tell the kids I coach is find a player who plays like you. Find a pro who is your body size, your style, your springiness, or your reactions, or your whatever it might be. And, and somewhat use them to emulate them, to understand how they use their body, their skill set, whatever that is. And we discussed with Andre Rawls how he's just so quick and fast and reactionary, right? Find a keeper who plays like you and watch them. Watch video. Watch stuff on the YouTube, right? Because you're going to learn so much more of what you're capable of. It doesn't mean you can't be a Ter Stegen when you're 5'5". Five, five. It just means you're going to have a better thing of role modeling yourself off of Nick Raimondo, off of a Michael Madgett, off of John Bush when you're you're not the, the tallest of keepers. So – how can we help kids figure out kind of how to prepare to react when the holding the line and the drop and, and, and the proper footwork to get into that position? Because I think a lot of times kids, what they'll do is just start backpedaling because they don't understand what it is. They'll start coming out for a ball and then they'll hesitate and then they'll start backpedaling, which is not the same thing as dropping to line. What that is, is that that is not committing to coming out for a ball. Yeah, and I mean, and I think one of the things to clarify, but so we don't confuse you, when we say drop into the line, it doesn't always mean you actually drop to the line. Sometimes it means you drop a yard off. It means you drop to two yards off the line. Sometimes, like, say, a great example is, you know, like Romando on a corner, he drops, he legitimately drops to the line, kicks back, gets set, gets to be able to spring forward. So, so there is different variations of what drop into the line means, but you're right. How, how do you come across, how do you teach a kid to process that? of what that actually means. And I think, as we discussed before, when, when Ian Foy was on, is how do you create game experience situations in training? How do you have it so they're set up on an angle, you say go, they drop to the line, ball comes across, make the save. You do three or four of these, and you integrate, okay, now the decision's yours. Ball's going to be put in, you're making the decision. Are you dropping back? Are you not dropping back? Do you start teaching of when you drop back, how to kick your legs back or step your legs back so you're springing angled forward? I think there's so many things to teach. And as we've gone through the the art of goalkeeping as we are the guardians of goalkeeping here that's such a niche thing it's such small things and there's so much to learn and teach that it's really hard when you're a 15 year old playing even academy when you're training goal two three times a week to still get everything incorporated and learn these things so for me one of the biggest tools is is the youtube channel not every goalkeeper coach on there is magic not every goalkeeper coach on there is, is saying the right things but the more you watch and take in the more you're going to have a better understanding you know something that you and i didn't have I remember being, you know, 15 and using the internet for <clears throat> whatever it might have been and it taking hours for anything to, to download. Oh, yeah. You know? Just to just even to see the box score, that took 10 minutes. 
Oh, I, I remember the. I remember my dad bumped up to like fifty six six or whatever it was. I thought it was like the coolest kid ever. He, we, we were parents were separated, so I go see my dad, and he had like fifty six or fifty six six mode. And I was like, yes, living the dream. Now it's just embarrassing, but it's cool. I think I think something that a lot of uh, you know youth goalkeeper coaches out there need to understand, and 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 I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but is a lot of times I see these sessions and these Taylor people- Manson tried to toot his own horn. <laughs> we're gonna move on from there uh but a lot of goalkeeper coaches i just see them running these sessions and they're just placing balls where the kids can win them every time and the problem with that is that they don't develop the decision making understanding of when they can go for a ball and when they can't go for a ball so you've got to start playing some balls that the kids can't get and then explain to them when they do come out for it and get the, and, and they get you know lifted over you know or or they completely miss the ball what their range is and when that was the proper decision when not and you know it's a lot of it is one thing I, I saw that was great over at Real SoCal when I was over there and I was I was doing the director of goalkeeping over there was that um, with our academy teams is that you know we would play a lot of different balls into our keepers consistently all sorts of different types of balls some they can get some some they can't get and it would teach them how to work in a real game time decisions on whether to go for that ball whether not to go for that ball and a lot of times making the right decision on that call um but but how do you learn to make the right decision on that call that's experience things, experience and that's what i'm by, saying is like by learning need, by making the wrong decisions and exactly. that's where you want to do it you want to do that in training if exactly. you can get an experience in training that's very game like and you start making wrong decisions so you start learning right decisions and you start seeing that visual cue of, once again, knowing yourself, can I get there? If you can get there, go. If you know you're not the quickest off the line, so maybe you drop back and you hold your line. But unless you do that repetitively over and over and over again, as you sit tooting your own horn, you've done, which is great, you, you don't actually learn. You don't process it. No, you're very right. And now one thing that I also see a lot of times is when, when keepers start understanding when to drop line is that their starting shape is terrible. You know, their 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 shape is all stiff and it's rigid and and they're not ready for that reactionary save. So how do we help kids in that situation? How do we help, you know, developing keepers figure out their starting shape when to hold the line? It's because it's got to be a powerful set base that's ready to spring spring and be able to be explosive. I think one of the best things when Andre Rawls was on, we discussed of set position, getting ready position. When do you when do you start preparing? When when the ball starts coming across half or just before half? And I think that even works down all the way to the goal line. I think, you know, if the ball is tight in the 18, the ball is tight 12 yards out, you must be in a set position where you are ready to spring. And if the ball gets knocked a yard and you shift, you're ready to spring. The ball drops a yard, you drop back a yard, you're ready to spring. I think it's one of those things you have to continually be in motion. And that's one of those things people go, oh, you're a goalkeeper, you just stand there. And you go, no, no, no. You might run up and down the wing for 90 minutes off and on, run, jog, walk. When you're in goal and that ball is in any sort of play that it can come to you, you need to be fully in motion, setting, moving, setting, moving, setting, moving. I think it's one of the biggest things for, for keeper coaches is doing drills where you're shifting into position, setting. No, it's not there. You shift back, right? It's not always start here, shift, make a save. It should be start here, shift. No, not there. Balls cut back, shift back, balls cut back, shift back, cut back. And then it's finally hit. Because in a game, it's not just always start here, ball across and make a save. It does move around. And that's one of the biggest things is coaches go, they're taking all that time to move and move here. Well, that's what happens in games. You know, one 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 thing that I that I you know learned from a from a keeper coach a while back was you know consistent movement. You know, teaching kids how to be able to consistently move and re- move and react, move and react, move and react. I'm not saying moving their feet not being set. I'm saying is in consistent movement throughout the ga- throughout the play of the game. 
And uh, that's something that I've always been trying to stress, especially at the younger levels, is teaching kids how to properly be moving and consistently moving with the flow of the ball and where the ball is, as opposed to just stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And I think that's really necessary in order to be able to be good in these types of situations. Um, One thing that I've been doing, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, Trev, I mean, I'm not crazy about a bunch of different gimmicks. Uh, when it comes to all sorts of different types of, you know, accessories, when it comes to keeper training and all that. But one thing I have found very helpful is, is sticks and bands in regards to teaching keepers how to stay low and stout, how to stay in a nice proper shape, uh, especially the younger keepers, in, you know, in these situations. Because if you're not in that dynamic position, you're not going to be able to get set properly and have that power to be able to lift off, push that ball over the bar. No, and I mean one of my favorite ones is is not just actually diving over a a stick and band, you know, hurdle setup. It's actually getting a look below. That's a, what I'm a talking. That's what banger. I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about teaching the kids where I've got the band. Now they've got no choice but to be in that shape because the band is going to hit. They're going to get hit by the band if they if it, they raise up. It, it teaches you how to explode and get low, right? Exactly. Or teaches you how to explode and, and get high and go over, right? And that's exactly. such a big thing of that set position into your first step and then where do you go? How do you make sure all your power is going into a continuous movement into the save? I mean, one of the things I brought up the day with a couple of kids I was coaching is as they were getting up, their farthest away leg was crossing back over because they're losing their balance. And I said, look, as you rock up, you need to rock up and your body needs to be going in the same movement, the same motion. So all of your energy, all your power is going to that next save if it's there. You can't have reverse energy going across your body. And one of the things we worked on was going under and getting back up. And it really shows you how to shape your body, of how to drive through a save and then get back up again. And, and I'm with you. I, I like the odd gimmicky thing. I like the odd reaction thing. I, I do like some to integrate some fun in times. Um, but that's one that's actually really useful across the board. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I it's it's so especially with taller, younger keepers, it's worked great for me um, because a lot of times taller, younger keepers have a tendency to be very stiff and very upright. And so They're very rigid. And it's very, very hard rigid. to get along. Yes. Um, and speaking of, uh, of, of, of staying low, um, low driven ground balls and holding line for those are really difficult for a lot of keepers to understand. Mike, so I mean, you've been asking me, I'm going to ask you, tell us an example of that. Because I mean, for me too, I'm, I'm with you. That is such a tough one. Where do you see that playing out? So when someone's listening to us right now, how would you explain that? Okay. On a visual. Okay. So the way I would explain that is a, a ball's played out to the out to the wing. Uh, the ball's dribbled down. They're looking for the cross. They're getting set for that back for that back post cross to be flight, flighted in. But instead, the guy drives a driven ball into the six. The keeper has to make a decision whether they come out and try to smother that ball or whether they hold line, get shape, get big, and get set for that second ball. Um, See it- this is a great example. So when you say hold line, do you mean they're standing in the goal no, line? Or I'm not, no, I'm not. And I apologize for that because the, because the term does not, get not, very confusing. Not apologize, but that's what I, said. I love it. I love that just that to let people know holding line doesn't mean just stand in your line and pick your nose and hope it hits you. No, holding it, line it, holding line means not not making that mo- not forward that forward movement forward, but it's it's more of a lateral movement across to hold your shape for you're getting in safe, shape shape and set to make a save exactly. You know, and we saw a lot of great examples of that this past weekend that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, uh, even actually in Champions League today. We saw that. So, um, but yeah, these are really difficult, especially at the highest levels because well, the, the ball's ball being whipped in so, so fast, fast. And so hard. Right. And yeah. that decision making. And once again, that's what people realize. And, you know, one of the things I discussed before when, when I started moving up and going from like a USL to having been on trials with the Galaxy and stuff like that, just that and Rawls actually, once again, bring him up, had, had mentioned that every step you go up in the chain or the ladder, the quicker the ball is, the quicker the movement, the quicker the pace of play, 
the more those balls are whipped in, driven in, and the less decision-making time you have, yeah. right? And yeah. It just gets tougher and tougher as it goes up. So you need to learn at an early age so you can progress up the ladder as you move up the ladder with your decision-making timing as well. Now, you know, somebody who was great at this uh, when I was younger that I always used to try to emulate, you know, obviously not the same physical body type as myself, but Casey Keller was very good at this. He was very good at dropping line. I met his in the subway once. It was really charming. I t- the first time I met him, I told him that. It was, it was really nice. Really? <laughs> we were, BC team was down and playing against Washington ODP team. And we stopped in the subway and we had our kits on. The parents asked, I'm like, oh, our son's Casey Keller. Da, 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 da. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And then, I don't know, 08, 07, I was in LA playing against the Sounders in, in a preseason thing. And there he was, nicest guy ever, really good. Uh, I had mentioned his parents thing. It was, it was a nice little, nice little thing. But but he was he was the first one to start teaching me, you know, when I was a, a younger keeper because everything was very reactionary for me at the time. I, everything was all – there was no anticipation taking place. And obviously, you know, when you're talking about the youth, the, the beginning developments of a, of a keeper, you know, we're, we're trying to make them as reactionary as possible. But as you start getting to the higher levels, you start understanding that there's a little bit of an anticipatory – you know, process to it as well. And Casey Keller was the first one to show me that when you drop line for a second ball situation, you're anticipating that hip open back post shot. So you, as you're coming across, you're not going to physically make the movement, but you already have an inclination based on the read of the body of where that ball is going to make. And I've made a lot of saves that way. Uh, well, a lot that's of because you're getting old and decrepit. And I think the older you get, the more you'll make. And same goes for me when I go out and train with some of the guys uh, at, at Academy. What people don't realize, they go, how is Buffon playing at 40? Or how is so-and-so playing at this age? And part of goalkeeping, as you mentioned, it's it's anticipation is the right word. But at the same time, I think like penalties. Someone's like, oh, they guessed right. You know, No, no, they, they read it right. You're almost an, it's anticipating and it's, it's experience. It's like a ball is being cut back and in your mind. You're quickly breaking it down. It's like a 20% chance it's going here, 40% chance here, 4% chance here. Now, you can't say it to yourself because this isn't statistics. You're not going there. But in your mind, you kind of know the two, three places this ball might go. But the highest probability is the ball is going to go here. And there's that slight anticipation, right? And this is where we discussed with Bingham on the LFC game. The one where he got beat front post and hit the post and stayed out, he anticipated it being open hip, ball bending back post. And was it Vela, whoever it was, wrapped his foot it around the front post, right? Yeah. But you could see him reading, going, this is most likely where it's going to go. So at times it can get you caught, but at times it can work out very well. Yeah, but my my, my thing is, is that it, it, there's a difference between anticipating in regards to having ha- reading the reading the body and actually, you know, uh, telegraphing. Yeah, telegraphing. Yeah. You know, if you're shifting your body already, then you're already giving notice to that player where you think they're going to play that ball and then they can make that decision to change it up from there. Yeah. So you can't give it away. It's like telegraphing a pass. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you don't, you don't want to lead them to where you're not going to go. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, watching, watching Casey Keller that day warm up, I probably should have been more myself. But I was quite intrigued to watch this. Uh, and we had chat after he would have been 36 at the time, probably my age now. Uh, and he made me look small. He was a big man. Uh, I've never seen a guy just get there, just even more, just get there. And you can see because he knew it's, you know, I remember chatting to him after and he's just like, your body gets so used to it. You get so used to reading it. You get so used to this is what you do that you just get there. And I was like, you're holding stuff that I would only dream of holding up. And he goes, you know, one day you'll be there. He goes, it's just, this is what it takes. And he goes, it's just the experience of all the time. And watching that guy train, I know we're off topic, was one of the coolest things. I remember watching him play one day when I was in the stands. Um, I was in Seattle game doing something, whatever. And at halftime, he was out taking half volleys. 
I've never seen anyone stay out at halftime, taking half volleys so he wouldn't cool down. Anyways, very cool guy. Great career. Casey Keller, listen to this. You're a monster in a great way. We should definitely send this to Casey Keller. Absolutely yeah, send I, this to I Casey I agree. And, and Subway. Uh, okay. Where are we going next? Seriously. Uh, I'll, so, tell, I'll tell you something. I have a beer. It's yeah, a great so, so for us to summarize on, on the whole topic here, um, Trev, what would you be your final advice to to young keepers to understand how to how to properly how to properly drop line and prepare? I, I think there's so many things that are super important and super detailed in goalkeeping, and I think this is one of them that gets missed because I think a lot of people realize, oh, it's an easy thing. You either come for the ball, or you don't come for the ball. And from a non-goalkeeper point of view, as a coach, we discussed who might not be a goalkeeper. It seems very obvious in their mind that, oh, he should have come or she should have come for the ball or they should have dropped off or whatever it is, not realizing the nuances that this takes to actually make it. So I think this is one of the biggest things you can incorporate in so many sessions. You can incorporate on a, a you know weekly basis of doing different shots, upping drills, different movement crossing drills. Uh, but really for me, this is watching tape. This is watching video. This is watching other keepers and then integrating yourselves of how is that decision made? When is that decision made? How quick is that decision made? And once again, as we discussed, where do you go? You don't just drop to the line every time. Do they drop to this angle? Are they tight to the post here? Uh, and that's just one thing for me that get online, go to the YouTube. Maybe we'll start a YouTube channel and start putting some videos up discussing what we're discussing here. Uh, but it's important that the more you see this, the more you're also going to recognize because some people are going to be listening to us going, hmm, I get what they're saying but they might need to see it in person yeah. right? or see it on a tape. So for me, it's talk to your trainer about it, ex- express to them you want to discuss you know, what is holding the line compared to coming out and how can we incorporate some of those in our drills. I think that's excellent advice. Now, um, moving on, you know, it, we've been doing, what is this, our seventh episode now, Trev? And I just realized, you know, people don't really know a lot about us. Uh, some people might, I, might. I like that. I like to be left alone. You know, a lot of people have just kind of come across this podcast, you know, because they've, they've, they've been recommended it by other people or, or whatever, or, or they came across it on iTunes. Um, you know, obviously people know that you're involved with Aviata, you know, that you're, you know, basically the owner of Aviata and that, that you started the company and all that. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Cause I, I kind of want to take, uh, this episode to, to get the audience to know a little bit about who Trevor Styles is, how, how you came to be, how you got into coaching, how Aviata started all of that. Uh, oh God, that's going to be three hours. So we'll, we'll, yeah, well, we're going to do that in 10 minutes. So, uh, you know, what? grew up in LA playing AYSO at, at the start. I remember the first time I played goal, I would have been nine playing in Santa Monica. I can remember the first goal I ever let in. We were playing AYSO. I went in goal the second half, a breakaway came down and I literally, literally stood on the post. I was on the right post as this person dribbled down, dribbled down, dribbled down. And I, you, I can remember, like, honestly, goodness, people yelling and screaming because obviously I was way out of position. And the kid just kept on dribbling because I didn't move and legitimately, like, walked it into the left side post and put it in. And I remember after my dad's like, you know what, maybe playing goal just isn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, maybe maybe we'll just keep you on the field. Um that's the first goal I ever let in. It still traumatizes me to this day. Jeez, man. <laughs> I can't, and I can't believe you remember it, man. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, oh yeah. Yeah. It was bad. Our team was called the, the bruisers. I, uh, yeah, no, it, it happened. Uh, so from then on, um, I ended up going to Canada, played provincial team, you know, had a good youth career, um, went overseas as a teenager, probably should have stayed, should have been smarter, but you know, made some interesting decisions and didn't. Uh, came back over here, found myself on trial with the Galaxy when I was about 18, 19. Uh, came back up to school in Canada. And for, for those kids listening out there right now, that was very different than being on trial now at 18, 19. 
for the LA Galaxy. It's completely was a completely different world, right? Yeah. So I mean, when when I came in, I was playing U twenty Canada team, uh, Canada Games team, and how did it work? They were trying to float me into the forty forty program or something like this. So I was actually going to go with them, but if I didn't stay there, I was going to go to Loyola. A pro forty, uh, pro forty. Is that what it is? I don't project, project, what... uh, the project forty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just neither kind of just panned out. I just kind of made a pulled the shoot decision and came back up to uh, to Canada. Went to school there. Um, you know, had a, had a good college career there. You know, won national championships, some awards, had a good time. Uh, went to play for the Whitecaps for a season there. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I've mentioned before, I didn't love playing as a job. I know everyone thinks of me as a weird person when I say that or something else is wrong or, you know, I wasn't good enough for this and that. I, I just, I didn't love it. So after that, I came down to LA, took some time off of playing, um, you know, end up meeting up a bunch of guys at Hollywood United, did that for a while. Then from there, got a new agent, kind of bounced about, went down to Miami for a bit, didn't like that, was sent down to Sydney, didn't work out. Um, you know, was on preseason with Colorado Rapids. And then when Frankie Yallop was in LA, I'd come in for trainings and reserve stuff and stuff there. And I just, I, I didn't have the heart enough maybe to make it stick. I was enjoying other things. I don't know what it was. Uh, went back to school, finished that, then came back super pumped up around 27. I think it was 26, 27 when I came back to LA, super jazzed. Um, was going to get my head together, going to play right. Just signed with US, uh, USL PDL team Ventura Fusion. We were playing a preseason game against uh, Chivas and old uh, old old A team keeper Dan Kennedy was playing in goal. Made a couple of amazing saves, smashed my back, and was told I might not be able to play or coach again because it was so bad. Uh, and from there, I started Aviata. When I realized that uh, my playing days might be done and uh, coaching might be a struggle because of a back injury, um, I started gloves. I mean, I love gloves. I went through seven or eight different glove brands during my time. Gloves, I'm pretty sure, is why the girl I was dating at the time wanted to call it off and break up with me because I'd be you know, on the internet like midnight looking at glove sites. And st- I, I love gloves. I was a total glove nerd. You know, that, that's just that's how it went. So from then on, you know, had a couple of people on board, started building up, started really small with Aviata. And, um, you know, we're in our eighth year now. We've had lots of progress, gone through lots of different pro keepers. We've had, you know, our gloves worn in the Premiership, Champions League, FIFA Club World Cup. Uh, you know, we've won MLS Cups. We've won other titles around the world. Uh, it's been pretty spectacular. You know, it, it's been really, really cool. And, you know, hopefully this summer we might have a couple more surprises up our sleeve. Dude, that's that's amazing. I mean, uh, it's so cool that you were able to find something else that you were passionate about and still get still stay involved in, in, in goalkeeping, um, you know, because a lot of people have difficulty with that. And, uh, you know, is that is that why you decided to start a glove company is because you just were passionate about gloves and you're like, you know what, I think I can this is where I can make my mark. This is where I think I can help goalkeepers out there uh improve their game you know what it was it was one of those ones that you know after not taking my career playing as serious i should have for sure you know it didn't help when i came down to la i started getting the odd like commercial for doing soccer and goalkeeping that paid really well and i just you know like i said maybe didn't have the heart to go and grind it out right when i needed to 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 get back at a pro level and pro career um but gloves is something that just came really natural and easy and i could tell you everything about them and i always loved them and i think when i was told that playing might not be the case and you know as you know in the acting world stuff is up and down all over the shop it was something that that i really loved and i think i've told you the story that you know the, the first pair of gloves i truly remember well there's two pairs 
One was a pair of Umbra Flare Premieres, 1993, I'm now aging myself, uh, maybe 94. They're white, neon, kind of foam, green and yellow. They cost 50 bucks, and they were ultra, ultra expensive for the time for my, my mom, my family, and my dad and I. My parents were split, didn't have a lot of money. I slept with them under my pillow, I think, for three months until they basically corroded into nothing. I was so proud of them and loved them so much. And then after that, actually, my father uh, put some money aside and picked me up a pair of Casey Keller Nikes. The, the fleece-lined ones. Well, now oh, we man. definitely the, have to send this episode to Casey. Oh, man. I, seriously, I love those things. I think they're called a veiler. Um, and same thing. They were under my pillow every night because, you know, gloves were hard to get for me and we didn't have a lot of money. So when Aviata started, and one of the biggest things was you shouldn't pay 180 bucks for a top-end glove. You can't. If, if that's what's going to make you happy, then by all means, there's lots of great brands who do that. But for us, one of the things was can we put a fantastic pro-level glove out there for a price that people can pick up, that a price that – Families can buy four or five pairs a year if their kids are going through it because they're playing so much. You know, because it's tough to spend that much money. So that was one of the biggest things we do. And as you know, with our gloves, like our top glove is 80 bucks right now. And it's worn by top pros all over the world. So the glove for me, I mean, as I talk about, I, I love it. It's, it's like I said, when, when the playing might have been up and down, when the acting stuff was getting tough, gloves are something that I just, I knew well, I loved. I was super stoked to do. And like I said, I mean, I still get fired up now when a new sample comes in. I get giddy like a little kid. So, you know, you know, it's it's funny with the way you're talking about Aviata and just how the, the passion that you have into it. Was I rambling? I started no, no, ramble. that's okay, dude. I mean, but like the thing is, is that like, because obviously you really care about it, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously, you know, enjoy wearing Aviata gloves, maybe not as much as you enjoy wearing Aviata gloves. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I do, I do, I do appreciate a good glove. Um, But it seems to me that like what you've been trying to create with Aviata is more than just a glove company, but like a lifestyle, like a goalkeeping it's, it's, lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a culture. It's a family thing. I mean, everyone who's a part of this is, is someone who, I mean, for the most part, has been on for a long time. And the guys we bring on realize of how close it is and, and what a little family it is and how it's all working for each other. Um, it's not just, you know, about gloves and making money in sales. It's, it's about that goalkeeper union. It's about the specialty. Why do we start this podcast? You know, we're not making millions of dollars off this. If anything, we're losing money on this, but it's something that you and I both want to do to, to put our love of goalkeeping out there. It's just, you know, one of the benefits of, of this ability is, is to do something like this because we love goalkeeping that much for better or worse. <laughs> so where, so where do you see Aviata going in the future? Like what are kind of the next steps for the company and for yourself? I mean, we, we, we do really well domestically in the States. I mean, we, we do great. I'd like a little more expansion there. Um, I'd like it to be a household name. That doesn't mean everyone's buying it, but just I'd like to everyone to know Aviata and give it a chance and give it a try and find out how much you actually might love our gloves. Some international would be great too. Um, you know, we're starting to do a few team kits here and there just on the side to see how that is, but really want to stay focused on the goalkeeping world. And we got a few, like I said, a few little tricks up our sleeve this summer. And going into the fall, we could have some very, very cool things coming out that might let's let's not get ahead of ourselves and say revolutionize anything, but that might actually uh, open some really cool doors for goalkeepers to find out some really cool things. Man, that, that I'm just excited just to hear all about that. Um, and you know, one of the cool things this is that Aviata has been kind of growing around the world, and and with that, I kind of want to go into Europe right now and talk about what's happened in the last week. Uh, so that it's just not just a, a Trevor Love Fest for the next 30 minutes. So, um, <laughs> well, it's fired up. No, I know, I know. Um, no, I, I do. I love seeing you inspired. Honestly, it's it's so cool when I when I see you all excited. And you know, I sometimes you know, you know, for for people out there, you know, kind of going you know behind behind the curtain here. But you know, Trevor and I are good friends, and we we talk outside of this podcast too. 
And every once in a while, you know, Trevor will call me up and just excited. He's like, I got something. I got some. Oh, dude, you got to check out what I got going on right now. Oh, man, dude, I've got this idea. This is amazing. And like, and it's just so cool to see that. It's I, I love seeing that because, you know, in comedy, I get that same inspiration. Like I was just driving here today and I came up with an idea that I wanted to pitch to somebody. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to get maybe I should wait until I, you know, park the car so I don't get in a car accident. But like, I'm really excited about this and I want to talk to people about it. Um, speaking about really excited, I, I'm, I am really excited about talking about the, what happened. Cause this weekend was just chock full of some incredible goalkeeping. Uh, so let's start with the, the man, Manchester Derby, uh, which was just a classic, uh, two different, completely different halves, uh, of football, um, from, from two different teams. But, uh, De Gea talking about coming up big, saving the day. Uh, do you, do you think that plants him as the number one in the world right now? Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely he's the number one in the world. I don't see who else who what goalkeeper is in better form right now than David De Gea. Not Buffon, who just got red carded in the ninety third minute when it's three three and Chesney's coming in against a penalty shot. No way. Yes. Wow. Well it's a good thing I DVR'd this. I'm gonna have to watch this when I get okay. home. Okay. No, I, I, I think that solidifies him. I mean I think as as we discussed in the last few weeks and everyone else is going, is it him? Is it maybe so and so? Is it so and so? I think a game like that in a situation like that, in a derby like that yeah that that solidifies him you know obviously it's a spain's number one but i think as as the top player in the world for goalkeeping right now i mean that decision to drop line for that top hand save on that header was remarkable and, and once again how much time did he made that decision like right? point, that, that point so zero 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 one seconds you know right and is that his experience is that seeing him seeing the flight past the ball Realizing what's going to happen, taking the probability and putting there, making that get in, and once again, as we discussed, getting in the best place possible to make that save. And by the way, guys, we're talking about a six foot six guy here. You know, we're not talking about a small guy. So if he came out for that ball, it's not like oh well, he's not going to have a shot. It's not like me coming out for that ball. Like it's it's him. <laughs> no, it's him being able to quickly process. The, the, the calculations, almost like analytics style, what is the percentage that I'm going to be able to make this save on the reaction where they're coming out for that ball, you know, and, 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 win, and winning that ball? And, and just, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, same thing again with that same, the, the, the near post save, you know, late, uh, later on, I think it was just a couple minutes later in that game, uh, the foot save. I mean, that was a conscious decision to go low and play that ball out with his feet like that because he saw where the de- where the danger was coming from and he knew that the best decision was to play that ball wide but he was not gonna be able to get his hands down there in time even if he By got the way, low he's, he's only he's only six four mike he's is he only six four everybody it's the, after it's, it's the hair ponytail thing so everybody after six one looks giant to me so looks we're just a bunch of massive human beings compared to you exactly uh ronaldo's going up it's uh been three minutes of clearing house and people yelling and swearing chesney's having a laugh i'm very excited for this uh, once again, De Gea's a foot save guy, though. He's a very Spanish trained keeper, right? He That's is. something where you, you've seen him been taught to drop, get set, and, and make those foot saves. And he does them incredibly well. He really uh, does. He really does. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's the funniest thing is like, you know, I've seen so many keepers trying to emulate this now in the youth game. And it, 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 it sometimes it's really hysterical to watch. The worst is when they do it in the shots like 30 yards. Oh, away. my gosh. It's so funny. Uh, it's so funny. Speaking of reactionary keepers, uh, let's go over to um to Spain, and there was another derby that took place. There was the uh, the Madrid derby, and uh, that was uh, Kaylor Navas versus Jan Oblak. Um, and I kind of want to compare and contrast to is, is there a better reactionary keeper in the world than than Kaylor Navas? Point blank. Point blank. No. 
I don't think there I, is. I, I think that, but once again, we discussed what different keepers do, but that is his bread and butter. If every shot was a point blank shot or a reaction shot from six, eight yards out, he'd be your best keeper in the world. He's just such an aggressive keeper and he understands, he understands his limitations and he understands where his strengths are uh, inc- I, incredibly. He's, he's, he's explosive, right? He, yeah. he says when you see him drop, when he loads his muscle and he drops line and holds, it is ridiculous. A guy could probably spring to the moon. He's like a snake the way he does it. Yeah. He coils right? and then just bing, bing. I, yeah, I, I don't exactly know why I needed right. to do the sound effects, but I did. Was, oh, that's the sound effects. That's okay. nice. By the way, Renato just scored. I'm actually pretty upset right now. Okay. Now, Old Black, on the other hand, is a very different type of keeper um, than than Navas, but uh, also some pr- some pretty big time saves in, in that game. I think Old Black's incredible. Yeah, I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves because he plays for Atletico, and, and think, a lot of I people... I think he's starting to get the credit he deserves. I think he's incredible. Every time I watch him, I go, if I had more money in Aviata, I would go and get this guy. I'm really disappointed the fact that we're not going to be able to see him in the World Cup because if he plays for Slovenia. Like, I, he, you know, I mean, it honestly, he's the kind of keeper you would love to see in the World Cup and to see what he, he could do I, against top-level international competition. I think he's the business. I really do. And the more I watch, I mean, watching the Atletico Real game this weekend, um, I I think he's just a tremendous keeper. And the real question is that, is, that top that, that top hand save across that one uh, diving head the diving header uh, that he deflected, um, just really good decision making on where he plays. Really his balls. good decision making, right? And that's a big part of it. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a big guy. He's got a big wingspan, but he doesn't but spill. His, he doesn't spill in the danger box. He's tidy. All. His decision making is on point. And for everyone listening. You know, we, we talk about decision-making so much on this podcast. We really, really do. But I think it's to kind of reiterate so many times how important decision-making is and how a good decision leads to other good decisions, leads to a very positive outcome where a negative, you know, obviously decision can get you caught not just once but over and over again, right? I think it's one of the biggest things. And, you know, when you watch O'Black play, his decision-making, once again, no one's perfect. People have faults. has been incredible. The real question is, is does he stay at Atletico? Does, does he find himself... I mean, you know, Liverpool is continuously shopping. And we're, I mean, we were possibly discussing Carius today, uh, who I think has been better and found himself, you know, over Mignolet and, and been a better keeper. But does uh, does Oblak find himself coming to the Prem next year? I mean, I, I probably see that happening. And, um, you know, you were talking about tidiness. And uh, I want to go in, into, into MLS now because we're running a little bit low on time here. And... Uh, the uh, LA Galaxy were kind of brought back down to earth this weekend, and, and a lot of it had to do with the fact of that uh, a very tidy keeper, uh, Tim Melia, was had I think he recorded the save record for MLS. He did in that game, uh, which was pretty pretty incredible. And uh, you know, even on some of those Zlatan bombs, just getting his body behind it, and the Bulls balls were moving all over the place, and still was able to deflect them wide. You know, and not see, not just it, stop the ball, but like deflect them wide. So and you can see Zlatan going to hit that, and just the pace and the knuckle movement. And I think that's one of the best things for young keepers listening here is that you know you have Timiela, who is a top top MLS keeper. You know, MLS keeper of the year last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, MLS, no, no, wasn't all star last year. Probably shouldn't, but we'll let that slide. But a top MLS keeper, um, a ball coming in like that, no one expects you to hold that. A nice parry, knock it wide away, you go. So many coaches I talk to, once again off topic, go, oh, why aren't they holding that? And you want to say, why don't you go in goal and, and see how that goes for you and see if you hold that if it misses and it hits you in the chest and you fall over. Exactly. Um, you know, for young kids looking at going, there's, once again, decision making. Do you try to hold that or you do make the sound decision and parry that away? Body behind, hands behind, follow the flight path, last second, parry away. He did brilliant. Great decisions, 
great decision. Once again, as we discussed, decision just isn't dropping to your line, come for the ball. It's, am I going to parry it? Am I going to hold it? Am I going to punch it? Right? Decisions carry across the board. And in that game, he had lots of decisions to make and did them very well. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about t- tidiness and we're talking about decision making. So I want to shift over to the Champions League now because we've got Champions League and CONCACAF champions that I want to talk about here. And we were just, we were just discussing Karius and, uh, the punch down at yes, the ground. Yes. Yes. I mean, he didn't mean to. It's not like he went no, out of course, the ground and hoped of, this finds the back of the net. Of course he didn't. But was that a situation where, where he should have come out for that ball? Should he have come out for that ball? One of, one of the things I had a great goalkeeper coach in my late teens. And one of the things we would discuss. Because he was, was shielded. Always, he was shielded. He was not going to be able to get a full hold on that ball. He was not going to be able was, to get a clean hold on that ball. I think what it was, it was a three ball. I'd come out in a game and I'd taken out my defender and their striker. They called a penalty. I got a yellow. I saved the ball. And I was pretty pumped with myself about it, right? My goalkeeper coach pulled me aside after and said some words I won't say on air here. Uh, but goes, don't be so pleased with yourself. You got a yellow card. Yeah, you stopped a penalty. If you would have just stood on your line and hold your, hold your, held your ground on the angle in case they get a shot and let your defender clean that up, right? Your defender wouldn't be wearing a, you know, a sprain brace right now. And you wouldn't have had to stop that penalty. You wouldn't be carrying a yellow card going to the next game. That wasn't your ball to come. Your job was to sit and wait, see how the defender dealt with it, and then go from there. I think Karius stays, right? I think the center back, who I forget who was there, had an easy chance to clear, or he was, what, seven, eight yards out? I think it was Van Dyke, wasn't it Van Dyke? I think it was. So he's got a great chance of getting the ball. I mean, you're talking about a world-class center back right there. I personally, you know, myself, again, different physical structure than Karius, but from a decision-making standpoint, I would see that shield, and I would say, you know what, I'm better off holding. What's going to happen? A little flick header is going to come. You're going to collect. And I'm just going to tell. I'm going to collect it and flick it, flick it over the bar, or I'm going to hold it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. Once again, because there's going to be no pace on it. I mean, no, no pace on it. Decision, decision, decision. So he came, and I understand why he came. Ball over top. You're coming up big. Clear your lines. Big punch out. Problem is, once again, no one's perfect. You punch into ground, and uh, you know things get messy after that. Yeah. So I think he stays. Right. Once again. Yeah. Hold, holding the line, dropping the line making the easy save instead of making a lot of work for yourself. And the final thing I want to talk about tonight uh, before we, we wrap up right here is uh, just last night, CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, first, I've got to give up Toronto FC going to the final, beating Club America at the Azteca. I mean, talk about something very difficult to do with all the mind games that goes on there with the fans there. I mean, it's just an insane cauldron uh, for, for an away team to, to play through, uh, let alone an MLS team. So, Alex Bono, Bono. I never get to pronounce it right. I think it's, I think it's Bono, right? It's Bono, right? Yeah, why not? Sure. Okay. So Alex Bono um, just came up huge at Club against Club America. I mean, I don't know if you got a chance Trev, to see, see some of these highlights, but uh, just, I mean, the flicks, uh, flicks, flicks back to the back post. Um, just being able to play balls over, uh, you, clean handling. You know I, I, I mean, I'd love to sit here and BS and say I saw it. I tried to find it this morning. I couldn't get any any highlights anywhere. But all I YouTube, could, all dude, I could YouTube. find was, was, was just readabouts. I, I went looking on the YouTube. It was just readabouts. Of I sent you a link. Good, he, how good he was. And I remember one of when our, our our keepers, Evan Bush, played there two years ago. And what a, and we talked about playing there. That was a game where he had like green flashing lights on him the entire game. We're not talking like laser pointers, laser, laser points. Like there was hundreds at him. And, and as I like, it is a very, very tough place to play in. Like maybe one of the toughest in the world. In the world. And as you know, the MX League is a top league and it's a chippy league and it's a tough place to play away if you're an American side coming in. 
or you know a Canadian MLS side coming in. And they came in so, hard because they were down aggregate and they were just like, woof, they were just shot peppering him and he was just up for the task, man. I'm just, you know, I mean, just some really, if we want to talk about good decision-making in regards to footwork set stance and being able to push off, look at, look at the highlights from Alex Bono from, from last night. Cause they were, they were pretty outstanding. Do you think that helps him at the national team stuff right now? Absolutely. I think if, if he keeps consistently being in good form, I think he's going to get, get more calls into camp and then anything's possible. You know, you, you never know. And I think for, for, you know, MLS, the fact that once again, in the past three years, you've now had one team, funny it's both times those canadian teams uh advance the finals is is huge absolutely huge so you know i i I don't know much about the chivas keeper but i think they've got the advantage uh in that in that final uh against i'd be i would love to see an mls team win win the Concacaf champions league i think that'd be pretty cool I, I think it'd be great for MLS. I think it makes a massive statement that the league is getting better. The league is getting stronger. The league and games themselves are getting more consistent. Yeah, which well, is a huge part. Yeah, and I and I think we we've always had good good goalkeepers, and I, I love to see them get showcased around the world in that regard. Um, seen from a top level league. So, um, so before we go, Trev, uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Plug, uh, plug, plug, yeah, plug, 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 plug. Black Mamba Arrow. I think we've already plugged it, but I got to tell you, it's incredible. Wearing them in training last week, and like I said, you know I love my own stuff, and I love other brands too. But the ones I put on, I was like, "Good for you! This is a like, it just feels great. It looks great. The performance is amazing." Uh, you know what? On this one, to be honest, use our code, um, which is inside the eighteen. Get your fifteen percent off. If you are an inside the eighteen user and you actually don't love this glove, I'll take them back. That's actually a true statement. And if and if anybody wants to complain to you, Trev, where, where can they reach you? Leave me alone. <laughs> you can complain to us at either. We have two emails set up now for all the complaints. Inside the 18 at obviousports.com or podcast at obviousports.com. And also, guys, email email there if there's a topic that you guys want to hear heard about on, on, on the show that you want us to discuss or any guests that you would like to have us come on to. Because, uh, you know, through the Goalkeepers Union, we can pretty much get to most people. Yeah, I actually I got to talk about this. I'm trying to get some really cool things set up for the next few guys. So uh, we'll we'll chat more on this. You look good today. You look you look trim. Well, like, th- you look, thank you. you look I appreciate fit. that. I did. I was on the elliptical for 30 minutes this morning, and then I did some med ball work. Um, all right. <laughs> and if you guys want to reach me, you can uh, go to www.lagoalkeepingacademy.com. Where do they send the hate mail? Where's the hate mail? Lagoalkeepingacademy at gmail.com. Our social medias are all la at goalkeeping academy. Same with Aviata Sports. For Trevor right there, uh, that's all the time on Inside the 18. One love! Presented by Aviata Sports and the Ole Goalkeeping Academy. Also check me out with the Total Soccer Show and the Cooligans on the World Cup Comedy Tour. This summer, right after the World Cup, uh, we'll be coming to a city near you. So that's all the time, and we'll talk to you next time. We're out. You've been listening to Inside the 18, presented by Aviata Sports and the LA Goalkeeping Academy. For more information on Inside the 18, check out www.aviatasports.com or www.lagoalkeepingacademy.com.